if we can understand the etiology of this pattern and that, and that built into the etiology, built into the history, is the means by which we can unwind that condition. That if we can perceive all the pathways that it's moved through and then we can work back through those pathways, how can we do that if we're not actually manipulating time? I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. There is something in us that strives for certainty, but there's also something in us that thrives on uncertainty. It's rare to have a deeply primary experience with the world. Mostly, we interact not with the world, but with our images, maps, and mental models. It's rare that something slips into our awareness that does not pinball through the categories, stories, and well-worn neural grooves of our usual habits of making sense. Most experience reminds us of something else. We like to think we know, and it quickly gets uncomfortable when the experience of the moment does not find a way to attach itself to the mental frameworks that give us a sense of security, comfort, and understanding. Certainty feels good. We like the world to make sense and seem reliable. It's easy to think that we are impartial observers of the world, but our stories and mental frameworks color and squeeze what comes through our sensorium. While it's difficult to notice this in ourselves, it's quite easy to observe this in others. We see what we expect to see and we hear what we expect to hear. It often takes the crowbar of an accident, bad diagnosis, broken relationship, or something else that feels like a trauma to shake us out of our usual groove and into a fuller picture of reality. This is why sometimes learning can be so difficult. It's not just the new stuff that we are attempting to shoehorn into our experience, but also the unlearning required so as to allow new information to have a place in our mental frameworks. This is why it's so hard to, air quotes here, learn to do business if your mental framework includes bad opinions about money and power. And this is why it can be so difficult to practice medicine as people come to us who don't fit the frameworks that we like to lean on. Having a primary experience of the world usually brings with it a deep sense of uncertainty. A sense of, what do I do with this? There are times when we need to hang with the not knowing. And this is actually the gift of uncertainty. It slows the mental sorting. It dilates open the senses. Allows for new information to get in, even if it doesn't have a space on our mental bookshelf. This is when discovery happens. These are the moments when the internal dialogue slips away and allows for a graceful moment free of subject-object. It's not that we are smarter or more intelligent, but rather that under the influence of uncertainty, there's an opportunity to sense without the usual constructs of language. It's deeply uncomfortable, and it can be enormously liberating. The gift of uncertainty is that it offers an opportunity for us to wake up. I've got a few housekeeping things here. First of all, the beta test of the discussion forums is underway, and we've got room for a few more beta testers. If you'd like early access to these discussions, then go to the Geological website, look for the question mark in the red circle, and send me a message. I'll get you hooked up with that. On April 20th, that's a Saturday, we will have a Sa'am case consultation webinar. And then that will probably be the last one for a couple of months as we're going to be busy doing a two-day introductory seminar in Tucson in May and in St. Louis at the end of June. 
To sign up for the webinar, go visit crowdcast.io slash geological. And for the classes, well, go visit the geological website, click on geological learning. Last week, I let the cat out of the bag that we're working on a Sa'am acupuncture book. Our publishing crew now spans St. Louis, Sonoma County, California, and Cambodia. Doing a book like this requires not just subject knowledge, and thanks to Toby for that, but also excellent editing skills and a person who also knows the medicine. So we are delighted to have the peripatetic Chinese medicine editor, Chris Flanagan, who's currently based in Kampat, Cambodia, joining us on this project. In the near future, we will have some samples of the book for you to read, and we'll be offering a special pre-release price on the book as well. You can get to the front of the line and know when that's happening by texting Sa'am Book, S-A-A-M-B-O-O-K, to 345-345. Again, Sa'am Book to 345-345. We'll put you on the email list so you can be the first to know when this opportunity opens up. Much appreciation to Golden Needle Online for their support at Geological. Golden Needle has helped to bring you these podcasts from the very beginning when this thing was just a pilot project. Amazing what persistence and a few years can create. We all like doing business with people we know, like, and trust. People who are in business because there's a change in the world that they want to see and they want to be a part of it. The folks at Golden Needle are dedicated to health and well-being and serving the practitioners who treat their patients with natural methods. And they know that medicine is a lifelong learning endeavor and therefore support the conversations here which serve the acupuncture and East Asian medicine community by providing a forum for the free exchange of ideas, theory, and practice. Golden Needle also supports your practice with a wide range of needles, clinic supplies, and herbs, all at fair prices, and they're dedicated to outstanding customer service. Golden Needle, supplies for your clinic, nourishment for your mind. Did I tell y'all how much I like postcards? Yeah, I love to see images of where you listen to Geological. And if you put your email address on it, I'll add you to the drawing if you'd like to join me as a guest for the anniversary show coming up later in the summer. You'll find the address for Geological International or else, the website. Today's conversation is going to take us deep into how we use our senses. Hang on to your seats, folks. It's going to get a little wild in here as we explore the subject of synesthetic sensing. Hey, friends. Welcome back to Geological. Today is a special roaming geological episode. Every now and then I get to be out on the road, visiting different places today. I'm sitting down in a tea house over tea with Brant Stickley here in lovely Portland, Oregon. It's the middle of winter and it's actually dry outside. I, I'm taking that as an auspicious sign. Absolutely beautiful today. Yeah. yeah great. So uh, Brant, I'm always curious about how people found their way into Chinese medicine. Can you give us just a little background on what wound okay, you well, into this stuff? Um, so there's a, there's a very long and humorous version of this, and then there's the shorter version. Um, the shorter version is that my first acupuncture treatment was um, during the summer after I had finished my undergrad and um, moved to Berkeley. I was studying Mandarin at UC Berkeley in the intensive summer program, I, during that period, I had my first acupuncture treatment. 
and it frankly blew my mind. And it, and in retrospect, I realized that it was probably four gates or something like that. But uh, <laughs> which can blow people's minds. Yeah, it was amazing. And um, then I was still working in. I was working in Berkeley at the Institute of Buddhist Studies, and taking Mandarin classes at UC Berkeley. And I would go to go to Mandarin in the morning, take classical Chinese seminar at lunch and then go back to work and work at the Institute of Buddhist Studies. And then a lot of changes happened. I couldn't get into China. I couldn't get into the Mandarin classes anymore. I was kind of casting around trying to figure out what to do. And my wife suggested that maybe I should make a list of the things that I might want to do. And uh, so I laid down and I laid down for about a week um, on a futon, just laid down on the futon for about a week. And at the end of the week, I made this list. And at the bottom of that list was acupuncture. And it was, I, I, (laughs) yeah. And I knew at that moment, I knew that that, as soon as I wrote it down, I knew that's what I was going to do. And, um, I looked into it. I started get, I started getting some of the prereqs because my background was in, I have a, I have a bachelor's in literature and Asian studies. And so I, um, had to get some science basically. So I started doing the science and then I called up ACTCM on a Friday and said, I've been doing prereqs. I just want to double check that I've got the ones that I need and here's what I've got. And they said, oh, well, you need anatomy and physiology. Uh, We're offering that now. You could start Monday if you can get your application in. So in the weekend, I got the application in. I went to class. They pulled me out of class, interviewed me, and that was the beginning of my acupuncture career. That was it. Yeah. It was the bottom of your list. <laughs> yeah. You contact the school. Oh, you could do it next week. Okay, good. I'm in. Yeah. And it was a little bit longer than that. Like getting the prereqs, I did a couple. I did, you know, physics and chemistry and all that. Sure. I mean, you got to do all um, that stuff. Yeah. But, but, but the decision, once you made it, it went pretty quickly. Absolutely. Wow. Life is funny. I argued with myself for years before I finally went to acupuncture school. But uh you know, as we've heard, resistance is futile. Yeah. So I've got a couple of things that I'm really interested in digging in here to, today with you. And there's a little thing that I saw flash through on Facebook. I don't spend a whole lot of time there because just because of my problems I have with my attention span. And, and <laughs> Facebook really just throws fire on <laughs> like, Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. It just, it, it, it's kind of a problem. But there was something in one of the discussions about synesthesia, mm-hmm. this ability where we kind of blend senses together is a way of developing perception or being able to have other kinds of perception. And it occurs to me in the work that we do, I mean, we use our sensing mechanism, we use our sensorium mm-hmm. in so many different ways. Right. I mean, you know, very classically, you know, touch, smell, looking, all this. I, I'm curious first to know how you came about investigating or experiencing this synesthetic process and what it might have to offer to us as clinicians. Uh-huh. Okay, well so just to just to put that in context, the the word that I was using using is synesthetic where I've combined the word for synesthesia with the word aesthetic, which most people commonly associate with aesthetic as having, as something possessing beauty. But in actuality, aesthetic means something which connects to the senses. Mm 
And so, and yet can also have that connotation of beauty. And so that's just a word that I coined to describe how there is a, a beauty that arises from using, from being present with all of our senses simultaneously and developing the capacity to be present in all of those, what we might term channels of awareness. Mm. If we can be present to them all simultaneously, the, the sheer amount of, of information, like you could call it information, but sense, sensory data or sensory input can be huge. And naturally, we're in the process of learning diagnosis, we're training ourselves to develop those capacities. But what's interesting to me is that, you know, time and time again, studying Chinese medicine, it, it's shown me that when we return, when we return to the real source material, if we take those principles, right, number and principle, when we take number and principle seriously, and then we allow ourselves to we allow ourselves to expand our understanding of what those principles mean and to push them and push them and push them until we perceive the implications, the fullest, the fullest display of the implications of those principles, then we're standing in awe of the world around us all the time. And we become, we enter into a heightened relationship with our own sensory interaction with the world. And yet it's still the, it's still based upon number and principle. It's still based upon resonance. It's still based upon our natural faculties, the natural science of Chinese medicine. And so I do believe now, now, now synesthesia is a, you know, quote unquote neurological condition. I think it would fall clearly into a category of the diversity of neurological expression in human beings, which is inclusive of many things that have become considered pathological. But I'm interested in precisely not adopting any sort of pathologizing paradigm towards anything, really. And when we, when we begin to see these connections, when we begin to see broader and broader connections of the kind of vast network of things, then things take on a different take on a different tone. I think we really see this, and this is one of the reasons why practicing East Asian medicine is so interesting, because we take what we hear, we take what we smell, we take what we feel, we take what is reported to us, we we attend to our own sensing as part of the process. I mean, to do a treatment, it, it's not just well, I, I guess you could do treatments that are checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. That's a very uh, elementary level mm -hmm. way of working, very kind of low level way of working. And you can certainly work in a very technician-like way, mm -hmm. but especially in working with the more difficult cases or the really knotty cases that are yeah. It's like, what's going on here? It does take a human being that's able to attend on multiple levels in the presence of another human being. Absolutely. That, that's having the experience. And so I, I really love this term, synesthetic, mm -hmm. that, because there is a kind of beauty and aesthetic to the work that we do. Absolutely. I mean, that's a piece of it. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that drew me to it. At the same time, we have to be very technically astute and be sure that we're helping people. Yeah. And 
Well, that's the thing is none of these, right? None of this is meant to be to the exclusion of anything else, mm. right? And um, that's that's the, through and through the technical aspects, they should be as beautiful as any as any aspect of it. That there's an elegance that runs through the Exactly, whole thing. precisely. Elegance is an excellent word to describe what should be present. Mm-hmm. And that that becomes a channel, that elegance becomes a channel because it, it's, you know, like I got, I've gotten really into uh, master dong acupuncture. And part of that was because what really the linchpin of that for me was that I developed this sudden neck pain of my own. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not a person who suggests, I don't think, I don't really suggest that people needle themselves because it's just not, to me, it's just not the same. But I thought in this instance, I'll just needle myself and see what happens with this, you know, chong xian. Yeah, you and white mouse. And so I had just been reading this book. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jack Schwartz, but he was like a kind of prominent energy healer from, that was kind of popular in the seventies, maybe eighties. He was from Oregon also, but not familiar with him. We, we could put him on the show notes page though. Yeah. So, so one of the things that he, uh, that I had encountered that he had said is that, you know, he was capable of starting bleeding, stopping bleeding, piercing himself without bleeding, like all these things that he was able to demonstrate to people. And he said, basically, I just don't view it as being part of me. Right. I just view my hand as not being part of me and then I can stick a skewer through it and then I can control the bleeding as objectively as I would control a thermostat, something like that. Now, that's a pretty uh, – the contradiction in that is is really apparent. On one hand, this is not a part of me and at the same time, this thing – obviously, it's a part of you because your blood flows through it. Your consciousness is in it. You're controlling this, this thing that's, air quotes, not a part of you. Right. How do you stand in both those places at the same time? Well, that's precisely right. You have to be able to, there's a, there's a capacity to, there's the witness, right? And the witness can be present to all of the simultaneous sensory phenomena that are going on at the same time, right? And cultivating the presence of that witness within you means that you can be, you know, in a sense that you can almost almost bifurcate your consciousness. Now we do that and we do that all the time because when you're attending to what's going on at the tip of the needle, when you're inserting a needle, attending to the direction in relation to the channel, intending to go to an appropriate depth, depth, encountering encountering whatever sensation you encounter there, being present with whatever sensation you encounter there, performing a technique that then re- is comes into relationship with what you encounter there, simultaneously aware of the breathing that is happening, simultaneously aware of your own breathing, Mm -hmm. simultaneously aware of sensations that are happening in your body, simultaneously categorizing them according to the channels that are affected, simultaneously recognizing how that relates to the patient's experience, simultaneously understanding how that relates to something that's happened in their history, simultaneously perceiving an image that comes from that experience that they've had in your mind and putting all of those things together and allowing each one of those things to exist autonomously as it does so that it so that it is not a question of exerting your will to influence the un- interaction of all of those disparate elements but to be present with them all simultaneously and to perform what perform your work within the most elegant and not adding legs to a picture of a snake model 
so that each one of those things resolves, that's what duchy is, right? That's duchy. Duchy is positioning yourself in contact with the organizing principle of whatever circumstance or whatever scenario you are present in, right? And the opposite is of, the, of duchy is shirchi. That's losing the chi, not connecting all of those dots. So that requires, right? There has to be a, we, we might say, right? That that's like, that's the Shaoyin to the Taiyang. That's the, the Shaoyin to the right? Taiyang. That's the existence of my being. My mm-hmm. witness is within my Shaoyin, my heart and my kidney. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, as the Shaoyin is the Zhongqi of the Taiyang, the Taiyang functions most freely when it is deeply connected to the Shaoyin, appropriately connected to the Shaoyin, and then is present at the point of contact, right? Every, every area where there's a point of contact, that's the Taiyang of things. Because it's the exterior that touches because the outside Because it's the world. exterior, precisely, right? Now that's why... So would you say that if you take your attention and you put it across the room, I'm looking at a chair across the room here, that it's my Taiyang aspect that reaches out and makes that connection? Well, it, your Taiyang aspect makes contact with that. If you're using your eyes, it's making contact by emerging from Shaoyin through Zhuiyin and Shaoyang to reach Taiyang, right? Zhuiyin, liver, liver, eyes. Of course, that's got to be in play. On the other hand, maybe it's your Yang Chao that's doing it, right? So then it could be Taiyang. So it's bladder 62 coming up to bladder 1 Jing Ming. Maybe that was the pathway. Okay, all right. I want to wind this back just a little bit because this sounds really interesting, but I'm already a little bit lost. And so I'm hoping if, if you can bring me along, maybe the listeners will come okay, along with try. us. Let's okay. try. So it, it sounds like there is something about the process of perception that begins in the Shaoyin, and then it comes up through and out the Taiyang. I think that's reasonable. Is that reasonable? Well, so... If I were, so in one, another way I could make that connection, let's say, would be Shaoyin, kidney, right? You have to imagine arrows between every word that I say. Shaoyin, arrow, kidney, arrow, jing, arrow, marrow, arrow, sea of marrow, sea of marrow, brain, brain, arrow, central nervous system, central nervous system, arrow, peripheral nervous system. And peripheral nervous system, point of contact with sensation, arrow, taiyong. So through that pathway, that would Mm -hmm. be a pathway, that would be a one single thread that could be at play. It's not, I'm not suggesting that's the only way. I'm not suggesting- there's a lot more. Right, I'm not suggesting that that's the only avenue by which perception engages with the world necessarily. But this is one. But this is one. This is one way of looking at it. And it's a way of tying the Shaoyin with the Taiyang, which to me as an herbalist is always really fascinating because mm-hmm. there's all these formulas that we use to treat the Shaoyin when there's pathology mm-hmm. that have all these Taiyang herbs in it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also the case that, like, you know, pro- maybe my favorite example of that type of thing is that if you look at, well, 
there's there's so many examples, right? So if we look at the Taiyong chapter, right? The last formula in the Taiyong chapter is Jurgan Saotong. Jurgan Saotong. Yeah. Right. So, how does that? What does that mean? That's telling us that that's telling us about the heart is Taiyong within Yang, right? And then that's there's a system of medicine that's based upon that statement that we can take that to the we can take that and and use that information. Un- unpack that a little bit for me. Yeah. So, likewise, right? We have also in the t- so my view is, I know that some people don't necessarily pers- look at it this way, but my view is that the formulas that are that the chapter name is as much a part of the chapter in which a formula appears, is as much an imp- important part of the information about that formula and our understanding of that formula as any other factor, including. You know, including the list of symptoms that it describes, and so the big one of the upshots of reading through the Taiyong chapter is you start to perceive how many ways it's always referring to upper and outer, and so that includes like the upper jiao, that includes the whole the whole process of water metabolism that's within Taiyong, and then that's. Really exemplified for me by the by the appearance of Jurgansau at the end, and by the appearance of like the Gansau foods atong kinds of form like pain jo- joint pain formulas, by the appearance of uh, Lingwei Jugantong, by Jun Wutong appearing in the Taiyong chapter, by Xiao Chai Hutong appearing in the Taiyong chapter. Right line, there's like line one forty three and forty four. I often refer to those two lines in terms of. Uh, of how Shao Chai Hutong relates to the Taiyong by appearing in those lines. So simply put, it's just that those, it's just that if we understand, okay, there's this connection, how do I understand that connection? How can I find a way to understand that connection? That's the process that I'm saying about like, about like enlivening our perception of things, pushing the implications of things until we perceive something, Mm -hmm. until we perceive the relationship. Now, you know, that's a slippery slope. Well, it, it's a slippery slope. It's also something that we're looking to do with our diagnosis. Precisely. We're, we're using our perception to see if we can understand so that we can see how someone got to where they are at this moment mm-hmm. and hopefully take them in a slightly different direction. Right. Well, now, right on that front, I'm suggesting that when we think about the full implications of that, we're suggesting that we can... You know, interestingly, Paracelsus, it was Paracelsus says that you, to understand a disease, you have to understand the alpha and the omega of it. Mm-hmm. And we can take that, I think we can take that to heart. Now, what I'm suggesting is, likewise, if we can understand the etiology of this pattern, and that, and that built into the etiology, built into the history, built into the etiology, is the means by which we can unwind that condition. Mm-hmm. That if we can perceive all the pathways that it's moved through, and then we can work back through those pathways, how can we do that if we're not actually manipulating time? How can we do that if we're not actually recognizing that that, that experience is present in the body right now? Mm-hmm. And yet, removed in time, we can still connect to that experience, and we can we can literally make contact with it, with a needle or with appropriate word. Right. That we make contact with that. And so if we, right, I've had, I've had a lot of, I've had plenty of experiences where 
for example, uh, let's say, right, because I've practiced Shenhammer pulse diagnosis, so a common, relatively common finding is, is trapped chi in the chest, which is evidenced by a flat pulse, what we call a flat pulse, which is a very deep, very dense, waveless sensation, often found in the distal positions, bilaterally, often found bilaterally in the distal positions, sometimes found other places, and sometimes found just in the left distal position. But nevertheless, that can be an indication of some trauma at a time when a person was very vulnerable. And by definition, pre-birth, birth, around birth, and probably and roughly the first 10 years or so, or any other time when someone's really vulnerable, these are times when, when a trauma will ultimately collapse the function of the upper jaw. Right. Heart in particular. Heart in particular. Mm -hmm. That's referred. There's a sent, There's a. There's a line in Su One Thirty Nine that talks about how the 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 upper burner becomes impassable, and that's. I and I understand that to be a reference to exactly this kind of pattern that I'm talking about. I've had the experience of treating someone whose history is uh, admits of such an experience, mm -hmm. and who's had a diminished global circulation as a result of that. And that diminished global circulation has made them more vulnerable to pain and more vulnerable to injury and less able to harness the natural healing power of their body to remediate injury by itself. And I have found that by, by opening the chest, by being able to open the chest, um, we can restore that global circulation and then the body's natural healing function comes back online, right? Was this person by any chance tending toward cold and fear absolutely yeah so you so you open up that heart fire and it it naturally resolves the cold and the fear right absolutely and as, as it happens the reason that they're prone to cold and fear is because first the heart and kidney axis of course but secondly because you know the thing the aspect of the six confirmations that's closest to birth is the shao yin mm -hmm. and so the impact of something is then visited upon Right, it has the temporal aspect of then visiting itself upon the Shaoyin, which is the basis for where the other stuff spins out of. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, how about we make a little more tea here? This stuff is really good. This is we're having a little tea house conversation this way. It's it's a little different than when we're on the internet, just slurping coffee or whiskey or whatever we're drinking at the moment. But uh, here we have this incredible. Phoenix Mountain Tea at the at the wonderful Enthea Tea House in Portland. Portland, Oregon. A little plug here. <laughs> 3533 Southeast Milwaukee. It's absolutely delicious. Amazing. All right, you're going to pour us up a little tea and then well, we're going to let that just 30 seconds, about 30 seconds. <laughs> um I want to come back to synesthetic I just like saying the word. That's nice. I like it. It's, it's a lovely word, synesthetic. I want to come back to this sense here. And we can, we can keep our six levels, our Leo Jing in this, because it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, the six levels have a lot to do with the kind of synesthetic experience or syna, yeah, synesthetic experience that we might have. Precisely, because at least as I understand it, the... Right, so of course the six confirmations, the six confirmations are based upon the three yin and three yang, 
and the opening and closing and pivoting behavior of the three young. And so that's a way of describing everything in the universe. Um, so let's say I'm pouring tea. Mm-hmm. Which you just did. <laughs> yeah. Let's pretend I'm still doing it. Yes. So I have I decide I wanna I decide I wanna pour the tea. And so I pivot into activity. The open state is the one where that's fully that that pouring of the tea is fully expressing itself. And then of course the closing of that is that I'm putting that back down and that's that. Okay. Wait, where was the pivot again? So for so this is maybe the part where it's people are not where I think about it maybe a little differently. Is that the pivot? Well, I completely don't understand open close pivot. I've heard about it for years. I've read it. I've tried to understand it. And every time I come around to open close pivot, I go, I still don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, so here's how I'm saying mm. pivoting is pivoting from a state of pivoting is emerging from a prior state. Uh huh. Okay. But it means also the initiation of a new state. So pivoting is the initiation of something new. Yeah. So Shaoyang pivots into Yang, Shaoyin pivots into Yin. Yes. I, underst I understand open. Shaoyin pivots into Yin. Mm-hmm. Ah. Now, normally I draw a picture of this, but... Okay. Um, but Shaoyin is the pivot. We know that. I thought Zhuiyin was the pivot. Zhuiyin's close. Zhuiyin is the closing of Yin. Okay. I'm going to go with you on this. I got some other ideas about Dre Yin, but that, that, that comes from some herbal stuff with Dr. Hu Shishu and Feng Shen Lun. Okay. Okay. So, interesting. But we'll go with yours, because I'm trying to understand what you're thinking. Right. I hear that, and, I, and I'm, down with every, I'm down with it all. Like, it's all good to me. <laughs> I know. Well, isn't it fascinating that we can really have these different ways of perceiving how these things work? And we can look at it through this lens here. Yep. That works. Those pieces fit together. We can look at the same physiology, similar processes from a slightly different perspective. Oh, well, look, they work that way too. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily a contradiction. Yeah. Totally. And that's part of, I mean, and, and actually that's part of the whole synesthetic model mm -hmm. is that, right, it has negative capability. Negative capability is a term that John Keats used to describe the brilliance of Shakespeare. And he said that he had negative capability, which is, which is the, capacity, the capacity to hold two things in a creative tension without any irritable reaching after facts. So, and that's called negative, negative capability. capability. Yeah. That's a whole different way of thinking about negative, isn't it? Right. Well, so what I'm saying there is that the ability that we have to hold paradox mm -hmm. gently, mm -hmm. that's a part of opening oneself to multivalent. Our ability to hold paradox is part of our capacity to open ourselves to the multivalent significance of the things that we encounter in our senses. And so all of those, all of those pathways being true, potentially, but being able to connect them to something tangible, mm -hmm. that's what's the, that's the crux of the matter. It's right. Like I'm not going around like saying, well, this is this and this is that I'm saying like, how does this re connect to an individual's experience of being in the world, inclusive of their history, inclusive of their present state, 
inclusive of unseen influences upon them that maybe I can perceive? Can I perceive all of those things and how they relate to a person's lived experience? And then can I unwind it and allow it to, and allow it to ultimate and allow that person to ultimately take the final step, which is their own, which must necessarily be taken by oneself. Absolutely. That's where the healing comes from. And so, so how, so how, so back to the the pivot, the open and the close, it's like, I understand it to mean the initiation of something, right? Like every, let's say Xiaoyang is an example, Mm -hmm. right? So Xiaoyang is dawn. Xiaoyang is the emergence of the ministerial fire into activity. Xiaoyang is the capacity to initiate anything that has to initiate. Mm-hmm. And that means that right juice behind it. Right. Yeah. And that means that right down to the right down to the cellular level of physiology, that the initiation of every metabolic process has a little Xiaoyang in it mm-hmm. because it has the initiation of it. And so right, that's a way that we can take that and see, okay, where's where is this how is this playing out in a person's how is this playing out in a person's experience? So would you take it, I mean, this may be a simplification, and if it's too simple, let me know, but if a person has trouble with initiation of, of sorts, they just can't initiate things, we might want to look to the Shaoyang to see if there's an issue. Right, precisely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be, a, that, that, right, that's a simple example, but it's a precise example. Right, another, so a similar thing would be like, a similar thing would be like, I had a patient this one time, and I was feeling, um, it was actually in a pulse teaching situation and I was feeling the pulse and I had an assistant with me and Stefan Higgins, who's now a certified Shenhammer pulse teacher. And I was feeling the pulse and I said, I need you to come verify this because it feels like a clepsidra. Feels like a? Clepsidra, right? A water clock that fills up with water and then it keeps time by filling up with water and ah, then dropping down, right? Okay. So I was like, I can't explain it, but it feels like a clepsidra to me. It feels like, right, the the wave is coming up piecemeal, piece Mm -hmm. by piece, tick by tick, coming up to its highest point, and at that point it collapses. Ah. And that's in the left middle position. And the chief complaint that this person has is a chronically clogged ear, right? Mm -hmm. A chronically clogged ear. And so... I I have him verify that that's in fact what what how it feels and he says it does feel like that, and so I said, well, we'll we'll declare this the clepsidra pulse. Now I can use what I know about physiology and I can use what I know about um, you know the basic parameters of Shenhammer pulse to take any sensation and understand its significance, right? So I see some variability there. I see an uptick. I see a a building up of energy that then instead of completing naturally collapses mm-hmm. spills out so and it's in the left middle position so i'm associating it with the liver and the patient says what does it mean and i say i don't know what it means because i've never felt it before but mm-hmm. let me think about it and see mm-hmm. what we can come up with isn't this the fun part of practice <laughs> exactly what the heck is this i know i'm feeling it i've never felt it before yeah right so cool. we have to have a framework to think about it yes exactly. and so Ultimately, what what comes out from this is the patient says, you know, gosh, it's like I start projects and I will go full force on it. And then as soon as I get to the point where I'm about to complete it, like everything collapses, I drop it. But you know what's really funny is right before my period, I get so clumsy, I literally start dropping things. Every time I'm about to get my period, 
I know I'm going to get my period because I start dropping things. Okay. So there's like through this whole person's experience on the, on the level of like, you know, on the sort of almost on the personality level of their capacity to, to, to finish a project and on a physiological level, they're, they're really, you know, the things that happen in their body when the body is, when the liver is building up yang to close jui in to have the period arrive, something drops out. And so you take that and you apply that to, admittedly, we could say at least it's wood, right? That this clogging of the air we could admittedly say is wood. And I interpret it and I think, well, you know, that's kind of like what's going on there is that there's some turbidity that's being carried upward into a wood realm, right? Triple burner. Right, triple burner, shaoyang, mm-hmm. gallbladder, shaoyang. It's being carried up there and there's, there's turbidity and it's being driven by wind. So what could possibly, how could that possibly originate from what we more associate with the liver? And so I think about, so then I think about wujiyutong. Right? I think about wujiyutong and I think about the foamy drool in wujiyutong. And I think that that foamy drool is, a, is describing a state in which some turbid fluid, turbid yin is being f- fanned by wind and not being transformed and then is becoming chaotic, right? And that's why you have also wuju yutong in, in states where someone's in so much anguish that they'd rather die. That's the same thing, chaos of turbidity. To think I would rather die than go through this is a, is a form of chaotic turbidity in your mind. And so in this case, to get rid of, the, to get rid of this clogging of the ear, I might think, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give Xiao Chai Hutong. I'm going to give something, you know, clearly Xiao Yang in orientation. But instead I go to Wu Jiutong and I give Wu Jiutong. Because you're treating the liver. Right. And because what I'm seeing is that, the, is that what's evidenced by her pattern in terms of like the pushing, pushing the project and then dropping it is like a failure of the yang of the of the liver. It's a failure of wood yang to actually carry through, to have the energy to carry through on an intention and carry through on a goal. So you boost up the liver yang. So I boost up the liver yang. And then that liver then yang is, cap- is capable of transforming the, transforming the turbidity. And when you transform that turbidity, I mean, you could look at it stepwise and say, when you, when you transform that turbidity, and you resolve that situation in the ear, which we can, you know, you can imagine the host of kind of like dizziness that could follow from it or whatever, that then that's going to open up, that's going to open up a pathway for this person to be more present. And if they're more present, that they're not going to be diverting energy into being not present. And then maybe they're going to have the capacity to carry through on something that they're trying to do. And what happened with her projects? So her projects got better. Her ear got better. That's how it works, right? It's like, a person, it's almost as if on the one level, but just by recognizing that the body's communicating to us about that and then sharing that communication with someone, you're creating another avenue for them to explore. You're creating the you know, you're creating this pathway mm-hmm. to change. What happened to her being clumsy before her period? That I can't say. I'm not sure. So this is one of the things about Chinese medicine that I find just delightful that we can look at these things that apparently on first glance if you haven't studied this medicine you go well that's a weird mishmash how would any of that go together 
And of course, when we first begin the study, we you know we think the same thing. It's like, mm-hmm. how does all that fit? And then we've you know we've got things like the five phases, the the six confirmations, I mean, all the other stuff that we use, and and we can see how it fits. We kind of make up these stories, and if the story fits, it's probably worth exploring. So we do that in our training, and we do that in our diagnosis. And again, I want I want to come back to this synesthetic uh, cine, sense because. Without getting too self-involved, we have to bring an aspect of of who we are and our perceptual abilities mm-hmm. to the rodeo, so to speak. Absolutely, or nothing happens. Right. So that means that it's imperative that one cultivates meditation and inner cultivation and connects connects to the awareness untrammeled by thought mm-hmm. right that's why these kinds of qualities these kinds of synesthetic qualities are obvious obvious and natural results of meditation practice so are you suggesting that meditation practice would be an essential component if you want to develop these or are there other things that we can do maybe in just a day-to-day way that helps to develop this this synesthetic, synesthetic, such a fun word to say, um, perspective. Are there, let me put it this way. Are there synesthetic practices that help us to cultivate that so we can bring it into our clinical work? Well, I would suggest that, I would suggest that meditation is the primary means. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, there are certainly ways to cultivate it. And the ways that we cultivate it in our day-to-day world are just seeking out those connections, just making those connections, and, and, and trying to understand how any of the various models that we have, five phases or six confirmations or you know three treasures or whatever, mm-hmm. to see them in the world around us and to look for them in the world around us. Now, then there's an exercise that I give to students in a class we have a class called Imaginal and Experiential Inquiry at NUNM. That's like I teach the first year one. It only it's a it only meets three times, and ultimately it's three times a quarter. Ultimately, as it goes through the four years, it's geared towards finding that subject within oneself that they want to write a capstone about. That subject within themselves. Right. So like there's something in me that really wants to explore this subject or this topic, mm-hmm. and that would be a worthy that would be a worthy topic for a capstone, right? So I have it in the first year and I'm just trying to help people develop this capacity. I'm at, you know, really I'm trying to help them develop this synesthetic capacity. And so one of the exercises is I give them this breakdown of the six confirmations and then I say, I want you to, I want you to write in a journal every single day. I want you to write down things that you saw, things that you heard, things that you did, and then draw a little picture and that's, drawing on uh, Linda Berry's model, Syllabus. She has a book called Syllabus. And have them do that and then explore, how does this reflect something that I understand about Chinese medicine? How does this reflect something about the activity of the six confirmations or the five phases or anything? Now, the next stage of that is I ask them to do that and not use the word to be. So English English without the word to be is... A, a, a kind of theor- an experimental language called English prime, E prime. It's English without the word to be. 
And what that means is that you're sh you're basically cutting yourself off from this A is B kind of uh, binary thinking. Can you give me an example? Uh, okay, so that's the hard part. Well, it is because I, I think we're, we're very quickly treading into a non-dual realm here, which does not lend itself so easily to words. Right. So, well, on the most basic level, I could say, I could see a person reeling down the street awkwardly and say, he is drunk. Mm -hmm. Or I could say, he's walking drunkenly, or he appears drunk. And that's different, right? That's actually a categorically different thing. I can say to a person in terms of their behavior, <laughs> I could say, you are a jerk. Or I can say, your behavior reminds me of jerky behavior, or you're behaving in a way that's troublesome, or something like that, right? Like, instead of, instead of declaring this, you are this, you are that, this is this, this is that, it's actually almost making a verbal, it's actually almost turning that into a verbal expression. Uh -huh. So instead of, instead of putting a label, well, just like so often people get a diagnosis and they become their diagnosis. And, and I mean, they really live their diagnosis sometimes. I and mean, sometimes people get very attached to their diagnosis. But, and sometimes us as practitioners too, we'll make a diagnosis and, and now we just think of that person as that diagnosis as opposed to here's a person who has some attributes. Yeah, there's this word that we use to describe it, but we're not putting, we're not pinning them down so much as could I say taking what's a noun and turning it into a verb? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the process that we're trying to work with in there. And Going that from is nouning to verbing. From noun, let's call it from nouning to verbing. Okay, right. And then the next level of that is right in some in some Alaskan tribal communities. Right, like a, there's a like the Koyukon. Like they will describe right in in many indigenous communities right there's ways of describing animals or things um, and you're trying to avoid just uh, describing it directly right you would never say like i'm going out to hunt bear you would never say i'm gonna hunt a fox you would say you might but you might say i'm gonna hunt slips through the brush or you might say i'm gonna hunt sleeps through the winter Mm -hmm. Now, and that I'm just, I'm, that's, I'm just saying that that's not necessary. I'm just right. I'm just using that as an example. And, and the reason for not using the name that turns it into a noun is what, what's the, what's the purpose behind this? Ultimately, that's a recognition of like personhood, the personhood of other than human persons and maintaining proper relationship to that personhood. Mm -hmm. Right. And so speaking directly to something like that, addressing something directly like that, that may not be the most perfect relationship. It's more objectified that way. Right. You're addressing an object as opposed to a person. Right. Or a process. A process. Precisely. Mm -hmm. And so now what if we approach Chinese medicine and all of the sensory information that we pick up while doing a diagnosis in which we don't isolate the different aspects of our senses, but we allow them all to work simultaneously. And in the process, we become aware of visions that we perceive 
we become aware of sensations that we perceive. We hear things differently. We smell things differently. Yes. So I suspect every practitioner has had this experience. All this information is coming into the sensorium. And one of the first things that will go through the mind is, what do I do with all of this? It can be incredibly confusing. Right. And so you have had better developed and practiced the capacity to be present with chaos, to be calm in the face of chaos, and to be calm in the face of the, your activity of your monkey mind, to be able to make sense of all of that information. Like nothing in the world could be more chaotic than what's going on in your head. <laughs> or maybe I'm speaking only for myself, but uh, I think that that's a common experience. No, I've I, I got have. a feeling a bunch of listeners right now are all giggling to themselves <laughs> yeah. the way that I am. So cultivate that capacity. Mm -hmm. Now, the, you know, the next thing about it is that if we, you know, we all have channels, so to speak, we all have certain channels that are more developed. Some people are incredibly kinesthetic and some people are more visual and some mm -hmm. people are more uh, sound or smell or taste or whatever. Yep, we all have our preferences. And so those channels will be the easiest ones for us to perceive. Mm. However, all of our channels are, per are per all perceiving simultaneously. And we can just kind of one by one develop the capacity to be present to more and more information. It's just a matter of practice. Well, and it sounds like the other thing that happens is as we become more present to the channels and, and, and especially to the, all the information coming in through the channels. Earlier in the conversation, you were describing a, um, I mean, I've got a vision of it, actually. A, a vision in a, in, a, in a spatial sense of it that there's all these things going on. Oh, with the Dutchie, the way that you described the Dutchie. Mm -hmm. There's all these things going on, and the Dutchie is that presence in the midst of all these things going on. Right. The contact. The contact. It's the point of contact. And there's no confusion in that. It's just, it's like a, it's like a moment in time of presence to all that's happening. A moment of time of presence to all that is happening. How does a practitioner avoid getting lost in their own imagination. That's why I'm stressing. You have to, basically, you know your own shit. Mm -hmm. We're back to meditation and right. practice. You have to know what's yours and what's not yours. Mm -hmm. And simple example is, if you are, you know, a very simple example would be, if you're present with everything that's going on, then you'd also be present with one of the ways that that manifests is that a patient, you can feel what's going on with the acupuncture when you're doing the acupuncture. So you know that it's moving up the channel. You know how far up the channel it's moving. You know if it feels hot or it feels cold, if it's blue or if it's red or if it's green. And you're with that. And perhaps it encounters some kind of pain. And then at that moment that you encounter a blockage that's, say, in the shoulder, you start to feel this sensation in your own shoulder. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm in addition to being an acupuncturist, I'm also a professional baseball pitcher. I'm going to assume that that might be my pain in my shoulder, not my patient's pain in their shoulder. Right? I have to be present to that possibility. But if it's something that doesn't, or if I've been working a long day and I'm kind of tired, then I'm going to say, oh, you know what? I've been working a long day and I'm kind of tired. 
I'm not going to think that that is something coming from them necessarily. But we have to be able to determine what's coming from within and from what's coming without. And again, the only way to do that is to know what's within you and to really understand what's within you. I think this is why it can get so confusing with the work that we do, because we mix ourselves up with our patients, which isn't helpful for anyone on either side of the table. Bear in mind, I'm not suggesting, I'm not talking anything about blurry boundaries at all. I'm talking right. no, about I, like, fact, straight up. I talking like, about very clear. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, a um, appreciation of the multivalence. I think you use that term multivalence. Yeah. I just learned a new word today of, of, of what's happening. Precisely. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately that boils down to doing nothing. When it comes right down to it, that ultimately boils down to doing nothing and being present to it all and not doing anything but your very presence in that your very it's as if your very recognition of that network of events and that network of connections so here and, and this is one of the really delightful things about chinese medicine because it's just full of these yummy juicy contradictions which we talked about earlier holding these contradictions lightly here we are people seek us out to do something to help them either get something that they don't have and they want it or get rid of something they don't want and they have it. And so it's our job to air quotes here, do something. And, and I just heard you say in a moment of appreciation, this sort of suspended moment in the Da Chi that we're actually doing nothing mm -hmm. other than being in it and somehow right. so, connected to it. So that's a movement from, you mentioned like a non-dual Right, you mentioned heading into the non-dual, and doing nothing is the appropriate activity in the non-dual, and in the dual, right? In the dual, which is yet non-dual, it's dual non-dual. But in the dual, I want you to feel better. I want your back to feel better. I want your depression to be alleviated, and so that is equally a part of the network it's just that i can be present so so that duality is part of the network and that's a node in the network and i can be present to that node in a manner which is appropriate to that which is i'm here to help right and so there's now how does that play out that's the initiation of something that's the interaction of my will right that what the arising of an intention arises from my will and, you know, through the E and so on. It's like through that process that's described in Ling Shu chapter 8, Shen Hun Po Yi Jir, like that we, every thought goes through that process. And anywhere that you're stuck in that process is, is a stuck moment in time, right? And that's also part of this network. So if you can identify that and there's an appropriate level of inter interaction with it. And that has to come up from your will, and then it has to be let go of. That's the key, right? That's the key, that you, you surrender yourself to that process of not doing. And in the surrendering, you that's what harnesses the awareness to be present to all of it. And in that, it's imbued with the power of awareness, right? Then, then awareness floods into that network and the transformation at the node of duality is going to occur. Which is out of our hands. Right. But you better well, make we sure... to be present to it. Exactly. And you, better, and you better make sure that leading up to that point, like every needle was done properly and every needle was chosen properly, the gauge was right, the technique was right, mm -hmm. the 
you know, the, the point location was right. The channel that you selected was right. The diagnosis was right. Well, and, and the thing that I keep coming back to here, this is probably a bit of my own work to do at the moment, is that in the place of duality, there's something to do. And do that really well and be very attentive to it. Make sure you got it dialed in. And in the place of non-duality, there's nothing to do. Don't go trying to muck it up by doing something in there. Because there's nothing to do there. It's. I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that this is some pretty good tea, huh? Having a conversation like this. Oh, my goodness. Brand, uh, Brand any other thoughts to share before we... Uh, Wind it down here. I can't believe the time's gone by as quick as it has. Yeah. Well, I hope that was illuminating in some way for someone. <laughs> and I just think that it's a, a marvel, as you've pointed out a couple of times in the conversation, it's a testament to just the incredible wonder of Chinese medicine and all of the streams and all of the currents that are within it and all of the ways that we can make contact with that current and how all those currents can then apply to us and come through us and make contact with patients in their lives in ways that is ultimately, you know, potentially profoundly transforming for everyone. And I've had occasion to speak about how, you know, I'm sure many people have heard about this introduction of wolves into Yellowstone. And so as soon as they introduced wolves into Yellowstone, what's interesting about that is that, right, wolves, we have this idea that they are in these sort of, you know, there's the alpha male and then there's these other hierarchical modes. But when they're in the hunt, when they're seeking prey and when they're actually active, those roles change according to where they are in relation to the prey. So what was not the alpha dog becomes the alpha dog when it's in the Taiyong position for example. Mm -hmm. So they're moving around this circle. They're moving around this circle and they're trying to get to the tie-in, right? To get the substance. And yet in order to do that, they have to be free. They have to be moving smooth, freely, circulating freely, shift, pivot, express themselves completely, close down that activity. And when that's allowed to happen, then that transforms the environment. And when that transforms the environment, the streams go back to their original to their original uh, pathway. And that's what, we're, that's what we're doing with Chinese medicine. It's just restoring the watershed. And that's a whole other discussion. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, that's it for today's conversation. Hey, if you guys like what you're hearing here, if it's helpful to you, please tell your friends about it. Also, I'm kind of curious, I can look at the download statistics for this podcast, and I see, obviously, there's people in North America that listen to this, there's folks in Australia, Russia, Japan, China, or China, imagine that, China. And I'm wondering where it is that you're listening to this podcast from. So if you don't mind, if you're listening to this right now, pull out your phone, or maybe go buy a postcard, take a picture. Let me see where it is that you listen to Geological from. You can email it to me. The address is michael at geological.com. Or you could send me a postcard. Wow, postcard. That is so old school. 
I'd love to have that. You'll find the address over on the website. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.